With Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams set to return from injury, the Seahawks have one of the deepest, most talented safety groups in the NFL. I'm going to be breaking down the depth chart on our latest Blue Friday installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Blue Friday to all of our listeners. And as always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Going to be continuing our position by position depth chart review, swinging back to the defensive side of the football with a deep and talented safety group. Everybody from Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs down to four undrafted rookies will be breaking down that group and answering your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. Without further ado, let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Earlier this week, Seattle made its first notable extension, locking up Brian Monet on a two-year deal worth $12 million dollars. Not necessarily the deal most fans were hoping for, and that's not a slight of Brian Monet, a very talented defensive tackle that still has a lot of upside and is only 26 years old. He's playing an important position, particularly in the 3-4 defense that the Seahawks are shifting towards. But of course, there's a superstar receiver in DK Metcalf that needs a new contract as well. That's the one that fans continue to hold out hope. There's going to be a deal here in the next few weeks before training camp arrives and the number 14 is back on the field, happy with a new contract. But I think there's another player that is worth noting when you're looking at players the Seahawks should extend or at least should be having a discussion about extending. And interestingly, it's the same position group as Brian Monet. Puna Ford has been one of the more underrated players on Seattle's roster for several years running. You go way back to 2018, coming out of the University of Texas, Goes undrafted despite the fact that he was an all-Big 12 performer, got defensive lineman of the year in the Big 12, but wasn't drafted. The big reason why, five foot eleven. Teams were scared by his height. That actually plays as an advantage for him in the trenches, though. And Ford found his way into the starting lineup late in his rookie season. Hasn't looked back since. He's played in all but one game and started all but two of the games the Seahawks have had. They're 49 games the past three seasons. So he's been extremely durable, and he's been very consistent in the trenches, whether he's playing nose tackle or sliding outside to play three-tech, four-eye technique, even playing some big end a few times for the Seahawks. Regardless of where they've lined him up, he's been effective. He's been reliable, particularly against the run game. And he's heading into the final year of a two-year extension that he signed before the start of the 2021 season. Played pretty well last year, maybe not the best season of his career, but did have a career high in tackles. Logged over 800 snaps last season, was in the top 10 in the NFL for defensive tackles in snaps last year. So he certainly has earned the opportunity now to push for another deal. He's only going to be 27 years old going into free agency next season. He's got a chance to be one of the top defensive tackles available on the market Seattle should not put themselves in a position where they risk losing him, especially when you consider how much he is adored in the locker room by both teammates and coaches. One of the most respected players on this team. He actually right now has the highest salary cap hit on Seattle's roster ahead of Tyler Lockett, Jamal Adams, and Gabe Jackson. And some fans might scoff at that because he doesn't have a lot of sacks in his career. In fact, he's never had more than two sacks in a season. 
that hasn't necessarily been his game. So some might say that's a little bit expensive for a run-stuffing defensive tackle, but I think that's sliding Puna Ford to an extent if that's what you think he is. He is much better than maybe the statistics bear out, a very important piece to this defense. And you could make some arguments. You've already put the money into Brian Monet. Maybe you don't want to spend a bunch more money at defensive tackle, but it is a very important position, an underrated position, even in today's NFL. And so I think Puna Ford, for a number of reasons, it makes sense to be prioritizing him along with DK Metcalf. Maybe those are the two guys that you try to get contracts here over the next five weeks leading up to training camp. You look at what Ford's done since he's come into the league. As I mentioned, that rookie season comes in and he starts a number of games late in the year and he played really well. Had a game against the 49ers with three tackles for a loss. Just was an absolute monster. The quick first step, the ability to penetrate gaps. And he received north of a 90 overall grade from Pro Football Focus that year. He's gotten at least a 73 overall grade each of his four seasons from PFF. And I mentioned the pass rushing aspect as well. Yes, he only had two sacks last year. He has never had more than two sacks in a season, so he isn't going to be considered the next Warren Sapp. But I think that underscores his pass rushing ability, particularly with his athleticism. Last year, he had a career-high 33 pressures. The year before, he had 28. The bulk of those coming in the second half of the season, and really where things have changed for Puna Ford. And I think this is a big reason why I would put a check mark as far as pros for extending Puna Ford. They slid him outside more. He played a lot of nose tackle over the center or in the A-gaps in his first two seasons, really first two and a half seasons, and somewhat necessitated by some injuries that they had and some suspensions. They slid him out, and he got more reps late in the 2020 season where he was rushing the passer from three-tech and four-eye technique where he was over the B-gap. And that created more opportunities for him to really get after the quarterback. And you saw immediately that it paid dividends in terms of the number of pressures that he was generating. Again, most of the 28 pressures he had two years ago came in the second half of the season when the defense really turned it on. Carlos Dunlap's arrival from Cincinnati and the entire pass rush just seems to be ignited. Ford was part of that and was able to get a lot of pressures in the second half of the season. And last year, he finished really strong again with 12 pressures, including six in the season finale against the Cardinals. He had one and a half sacks in that game. So really didn't have any sacks up to that point, had a partial sack in the first 16 games. So that is the one area you'd really like to see him improve upon. But you have to think some of those pressures are going to start turning into more quarterback hits and more sacks, particularly with his quickness and his athleticism. I think pound for pound that Puna Ford is the best athlete on this football team. If you ever watch him in a game or on the practice field, just the way that he moves at 300 pounds. He's one of the most athletic 300-pounders in the NFL, and he puts it on display regularly with the way that he plays the game. And you can just see the quickness and the twitch from a player that at that size you wouldn't expect to see it from. So I think that that's the one thing is he hasn't really unlocked his full potential as a pass rusher. And I think that would be one big reason that I would be trying to corner Puna Ford as age right now and say, hey, let's get this done. Let's get you extended for three years. Let's ensure that you're going to be here. Open up the checkbook a little bit for a player that has been very important to your football team. I mentioned the pass rushing where he's got to improve there. But one thing's for certain, he is one of the best run-stuffing defensive tackles in the NFL. And the last two years, the Seahawks have given up 3.8 and 3.9 yards per carry. They have been in the top five in the NFL in that category each of the last two years, even with the number of snaps that they've had to play 
with their defense giving up a lot of explosives, a lot of long drives, having issues getting off the field. The run defense has been stout. A big part of that has been number 97 in the middle. He doesn't miss very many tackles. He's great at shedding blocks. He can play one gap and two gap responsibilities. I think anyone questioning if he can play in a 3-4 defense just needs to watch his tape. He can mirror step. He can split gaps. He can do a little bit of everything. He's a very well-rounded defensive tackle at this point in his career. He's got that complete package going for him. And I mentioned the pass rushing going up, the production in terms of pressures. When he slid outside, that's where he is going to be playing 95% of the time in this defense. He is going to be playing as one of those defensive tackles in three-tech or four-eye alignment. That's going to give him more opportunities to get after the quarterback. And I think you're going to see that impact his production overall while remaining a very stout run defender. You add in his leadership. Uh, he's, he's kind of one of those doesn't have a lot to say, but if you watch him closely, he can send a message. He speaks loudly with the way that he plays the game. And his teammates and his coaches, they respect the hell out of him for that. So I just think when you look at his quickness, all the athletic tools he has, the improved technique, the pass rushing production that has steadily been getting better in his first four NFL seasons, the importance overall of that position in this defense, you put all that together and I think Puna Ford absolutely should be a priority. Not ahead of DK Metcalf. That's got to be the number one thing that John Schneider tries to knock out here before training camp because he's a superstar. But Puna Ford is one of the more underrated defensive tackles out there. You don't want to risk potentially losing him next March because defensive tackles can get swept up quickly, particularly ones that are still young, which Puna Ford is. I could see there being a very healthy market for him if they risk losing him in free agency. UT... Uh, you team him up with Brian Monet over the next several years. That is your future along the defensive line. Al Woods is 35, not going to be your long-term guy at the nose position, but you can lock both these key players up for your 3-4 defense. You've got Shelby Harris under contract for a few more years, and it's going to give you a really nice group moving forward. So I absolutely would vouch for Puna Ford getting a new contract. Maybe the Seahawks have some hesitation about overpaying. Maybe they don't want to pay similar price tag they did last time, but this is a really darn good football player. It's not one that they should be risking potentially losing next year. I'm expecting big things from this year. At some point, he's going to blow up as a pass rusher. You might want to get him that contract before that happens. Otherwise, that price tag is going to just keep skyrocketing, and it's going to be a lot tougher to re-sign him. Coming up next, I'm going to be tackling your questions, our weekly mailbag segment. Tons of questions from our Twitter listeners for this particular mailbag. Looking forward to answering them here in a moment. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, including live betting, esports, and scores. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. It's Blue Friday. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's time for our weekly mailbag segment. This particular one going to be focusing on our Twitter listeners. We let our YouTube listeners chime in on our bonus episode on Sunday. Of course, had plenty of Twitter listeners saying, when do we get asked? Uh, get to ask questions? 
it is now your time to have the mic. So without further ado, our first question coming from Bob Thomas tweets, why do you think that people think Baker Mayfield is an upgrade over Drew Locke? Both put up the same type of numbers in their second year, but Baker had a better overall team. Well, I think the first thing is Drew Locke has never had a season like what Baker Mayfield did in 2020 when he threw 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions. Locke has never come close to posting those kind of numbers. And I think you just saw flashes of top 10, top 15 play from Mayfield in stints the last couple of years. He's not been able to do it consistently, but you've never seen that from Drew Locke. Not that he doesn't have the physical tools, but There's a big difference here in terms of what one has accomplished compared to the other. Now, Mayfield's other three seasons in the league, he was pretty solid his rookie year. Second season was a struggle through more than 20 interceptions, but Drew Locke led the NFL interceptions the following season. And that's why he ended up having to compete against Teddy Bridgewater last year and ultimately lost the starting job, only played in a handful of games. The turnovers, the decision-making, both these guys have had some issues with that. But again, Mayfield being the former number one overall pick, had a very good 2020 season. And I thought last year, dealing with the injury, yes, the numbers were way down. The Browns had a number of injuries away from him, though. That's just a beat-up football team. He was trying to gut it out with that separated left shoulder, and it just didn't work out. I give him kudos for doing that, but it probably ended up hurting the team in the long run. I, I just think when you consider the body of work, though, that he is the superior quarterback of the two, at least at this point. I've said Drew Locke has the talent to be a starter in the league and be an effective one, but he hasn't really shown much on film that tells you that he can be that guy to this point. Baker Mayfield, you can say, hey, I've got an entire season where he put up really good numbers, and yes, he had a talented team around him, but Russell Wilson had some really talented teams around him that contributed to his success in Seattle. you got to have good skill players, and you got to have players around the quarterback for them to be successful. So I'm not going to dock Baker Mayfield for that. I don't know how much better he is than if Drew Locke is playing at his peak, but I do think that he would be a superior option. It just depends what you have to give up to get him, how expensive it's going to be. And that's why the Seahawks are kind of sitting pat right now with the Browns not having much leverage. Terry Hollis tweets, two roster spots are open, Corbin. Who's going to fill those? So I don't think it's going to be anything crazy. Obviously, Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo becomes available in the free agent market and they have a roster spot open. I would anticipate there's a very good chance that they're going to be signing one of those guys and bringing them in to compete against Gina Locke, uh, Gina Smith and Drew Locke and combining them. It'd be an interesting quarterback. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, looking away from the quarterback situation, assuming they're not released and they're not trading for one of those guys, probably going to add another pass rusher. They already released one kind of light depth wise there. They're going to be bringing in Michael Badejo from Texas Southern who played in the HBCU all-star bowl earlier this year, the first annual one. And he's 262 pounds can rush the passer a little bit. So they're going to be taking a look at some pass rushers. I expect they're going to look at some guards and tackles too. maybe sign one after they decided to release Pierre Olivier Lestage earlier this week. So really I would expect they're just going to look for replacements in those positions, but it is possible. Maybe they could bring in another linebacker with Ben Burkirvan and John Radigan coming back from ACL tears. They might not be ready for the start of training camp. A good chance they won't be, especially Radigan might want to add some depth at that position for training camp. And they might even look in the secondary because Marquise Blair and Trey Brown, neither one of them right now are certain to be available for the start of training camp. So Those would be some of the positions I would look at. They're either going to get a pass rusher or try to supplement some of those 
positions where they've got some injured players that might not be available. Get some guys that can fill the gaps in the roster so you can do everything you want to do on the practice field. J.D. Thomas tweets, I know Rashad Penny was great down the stretch, but with a talent like Walker, how do you feel like Walker's chances to take over as running back number one through camp and being the bell cow? You know, I, I've mentioned this a few times here on the show. I think that Ken Walker III is going to get a lot of carries for the Seahawks this year, particularly if you're assuming that Chris Carson is not going to make it back, which signs continue to point towards that's where things are going. He thinks he still has a chance to play. Maybe he will get that opportunity. But I think Walker III is going to get a lot of chances, but I don't expect him to surpass Rashad Penny as long as Penny is healthy. He earned this opportunity to be the starter with the way he played those last five or six games last year. He showed how electric that he can be. They're paying him almost $6 million this year. I don't think they're going to want to do that so that he can be a complimentary number two back. I expect that Rashad's going to be the guy, again, as long as he's healthy. That's been an issue throughout his career. But as long as he's able to play and he's available, I expect that he's going to get the majority of the carries. And they're going to be mixing Ken Walker the third in some. He's too talented of a player not to. It could end up being a 1A, 1B type thing by committee. But I still think Rashad Penny is going to get the majority of the carries. He's earned that opportunity, and he's going to try to take advantage of it on this latest one-year contract that he has signed. With the Seahawks playing in Germany this year, is there a country the NFL isn't playing in yet that you'd like to see them play a regular season game in down the line? Antarctica, of course. I mean, who doesn't want to play in Antarctica? <laughs> in all seriousness, though. I think Japan would be pretty fun. Um, I, you know, this is just me saying this personal opinion. I would love to go there. I have not been there before. There's a lot of history. Uh, I actually was a uh, Asian history major when I was in college originally. So that would be something that would really pique my interest off the field, seeing a lot of the sites and the history in Japan. And it'd just be a cool place to expand the NFL to. That might be something that comes down the line. It might be preseason to start off, but I would presume that down the line, they're already doing Germany. I think that we could see maybe China or Japan be a country that the NFL ends up hosting a regular season game at some point. But Japan would be high on my list. And I would put Australia on there too. I mean, it'd be cool to play a game in Sydney or some one of the other big cities down under. And they certainly would have some interest in American football down there. So those would be some spots that haven't been hit yet by the NFL that I think would be interesting to host a regular season game. There's some major logistics stuff that would have to be, have to be worked out to play in those two countries. But I think Japan and Australia would be really interesting for international games. Christopher Corona tweets, is it possible with the new 3-4 defense we see Jamal Adams play closer to the line of scrimmage either as a middle linebacker or outside linebacker. I wouldn't label him as a linebacker in this instance. I think that we're going to see the Seahawks run a lot of nickel and dime packages, though, where they have extra defensive backs on the field. In particular, I've mentioned this a few times. I think with Sean Desai now coming into the mix, he played a lot of three safety looks as defensive coordinator for the Bears. I expect that to mesh with what Seattle's going to be doing with Clint Hurt as the defensive coordinator this year. And so I think when you see a player like Marquise Blair come on the field or if one of the undrafted guys is playing or if they're mixing in another corner, whatever the case may be, they have six defensive backs in the field, then Jamal Adams is going to be playing up near the box and he's going to function like a linebacker. I anticipate they're going to find ways to let him do that in their nickel and dime sets. They're not going to turn him into a rushing off the edge 
15, 16 times a game type guy. But they're going to get him his looks in the box. They're going to let him contribute defending the run. They're going to blitz him some. They're going to be more creative with how they do that. So, yeah, I do think he's going to play some snaps down there. But for fans that are clamoring for him to just become a linebacker, that is not what they're going to do. He's going to be playing plenty of snaps as a two-deep safety. And I thought he did pretty well there the last four or five games before he got hurt last season. So he's going to be playing coverage. He's going to be playing as a traditional safety some. And they will mix in some of his plays where he's going to be lined up in the box and they're going to give him some chances to rush the quarterback and take advantage of his unique skill set. Paul Edson Jr. tweets, how is Alton Robinson looking? Is his roster spot in jeopardy heading into camp? I don't know that I'd say that Robinson's roster spot is in jeopardy. I would not go into camp saying that he is 100% guaranteed to make this football team, though, because if Tyreek Smith, the fifth rounder at Ohio State, comes in and plays well and fits in with that outside linebacker position, that hybrid spot, and Robinson struggles – it's possible that Seattle could decide to move on from I would think right now, though, he is going to be on the team. It is going to be an interesting transition for him, though, because when the Seahawks had him playing like a Sam linebacker type role last year or dropping back into coverage as a Leo, he didn't look comfortable doing that last year. Now, maybe with more practice reps, that won't be an issue. He is athletic enough, but he just didn't look comfortable in that capacity, and that's going to be big. You're going to have to be able to rush the passer, and drop back when you're asked to do so in a 3-4 defense. I want to see where he fits into this scheme before I make any judgments about where he fits in with the team. But I would think right now with his pass rushing ability, some of the things he's shown in limited action his first two years, that he is going to be one of the reserves at outside linebacker that makes this football team maybe play some defensive end when they're in four-man fronts as well. And last question here, Brandon Olson from Locked on Gators tweeting, any chance Stone Forsyth earns a starting job this year? So I will say this. I don't think Forsyth is a starter in week one, but I'm almost wondering if at this point with Jake Curran getting a lot of snaps at guard late in the offseason program, not a ton of depth at that position. I almost wonder if this could turn into Abraham Lucas versus Stone Forsyth at right tackle. They want Lucas to win the job. He's a third round pick. If he can go out and earn that job, the Seahawks are going to be pleased about that. Get two rookies on the field that you can develop, let them go through their bumps in the road as rookies. That would be what Seattle would want, but they want the right person to win it. If Forsyth comes in year two, he's stronger, better technique. If he comes in and he grabs hold of that job and he ends up winning it, the Seahawks are not going to be complaining about that. They want the best player to be out there, and he's still a young talent that they liked a lot a couple years ago. When they picked him out of Florida, I don't see any way that he starts over there, but I could see a situation where it becomes a two horse race between him and Lucas and maybe Jake Curran isn't in it. I don't think that's what it's looking like right now, but maybe that's what it evolves into during training camp. For now, Pete Carroll seems to think all three players are going to get some shots on the right side of the line. Now let's swing to our position by position review. Up to this point, we've covered most of the positions. On yesterday's show, I was back on the offensive line with the centers. We've done the guards. We've done the tackles. We've looked at running backs, quarterbacks, receivers. We've looked at corners, linebackers, edge rushers, defensive tackles. We really are putting a bow on this series now with maybe the most talented position group on the Seahawks roster, and that is indeed the safety position. You just look at the depth chart. Headlined by two Pro Bowlers and Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. Now, they're both coming off significant injuries, but 
Both look to be very close to 100% as we draw closer to training camp. Quandre Diggs coming off of surgery for a fractured fibula he suffered in the season finale last year. Got lucky with no ligament damage, but he's been running around, was able to get some work in during walkthroughs at mandatory minicamp. He's expected to be ready. Jamal Adams coming back from another labrum surgery. Says he's healthy, ready to go. So they're going to have both those players back. Those are your starters. There's no question about it. Now, could some of these other players get significant snaps behind them? Absolutely. As I mentioned earlier in the show, answering one of the mailbag questions, I think with Sean Desai now on the staff, there's a really good chance that the Seahawks are going to be running a lot of nickel and more dime that we've seen where you're going to have six defensive backs in the field. And the Seahawks have the luxury to be able to do that because they have a couple safeties, Jamal Adams, Marquise Blair, Ryan Neal, maybe even Bubba Bolden coming out of Miami, bigger-bodied safeties that can play comfortably in the box, can defend the run, are aggressive tacklers, can blitz. So it gives you more flexibility to be able to mix and match defensive backs where you can plug them down in the box, you can move them up into the slot, all kinds of different things. There's a lot of flexibility with this position group as long as everybody's healthy. But Adams and Diggs, those are your starters. If they're healthy from week one all the way to week 18, then you have a chance to have a very good secondary because these two are among the best safeties in the league. And I thought they were really clicking before Adams got hurt against the 49ers last year. There was a four or five game span where it really looked like Diggs and Adams were playing at their very best together. More two deep coverages. They were feeding off each other. The interception for Adams in Washington was one of my favorite plays of the year. Diggs smacking the tight end. The ball goes up in the air. Adams flies in, dives, intercepts it. You just started to really see the chemistry on the field building between those two. And so Seattle should be excited. They just got to hope they can keep them healthy because durability, particularly for Adams, has been an issue. Diggs has been a healthier player. He's played most of the game since he came to Seattle, but he is coming off a pretty significant injury. Should be 100% healthy. Nonetheless, those are your starters. As far as a wild card to watch at this position group, I don't think you can go any direction except Marquise Blair. Because two years ago, Blair was undoubtedly the MVP of Seattle's training camp. Now, that only matters so much in the scheme of things. I've seen some players have amazing training camps that don't even make the roster. It's part of the evaluation process, but not all. Nonetheless, Blair was dominant in training camp going into the 2020 season. He was picking off passes, making plays in the football every day. You could tell he was frustrating Russell Wilson because he was everywhere. He was coming off the edge, blitzing, getting in the backfield, and they'd blow the whistle with sacks. He was just doing it all. And we haven't gotten to see that in regular season action very much because he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. He missed most of the 2020 season with an ACL tear that he suffered in week two last year. A fractured kneecap ended his season in week seven, missed the rest of the year. So he's missed large chunks of each of the last two years. And it's really stunted his development because Seattle, when they picked him as a second rounder, they thought that he was going to be a game changer in the secondary. But injuries have certainly been a problem for him each of his first three years. He's missed a ton of action. If you can keep him on the field, though, again, another guy that you can play multiple spots. He can play free safety. You can play him single high. He can play in the box. He can blitz. He can play slot. He's done that the last couple of years before he got hurt. He was the starter at slot corner each of the last two years. It gives you an immense amount of flexibility. So if you could just keep him healthy, he can be an impact player. Even if he's not a starter, you can get 15 to 20 snaps on defense with him each game. 
And he can be a real difference maker. He can get his hands in the football. He can force fumbles. You can blitz him some. He can wreck running games. They haven't gotten to see that, though, because he just hasn't been available. So they're holding out hope last year of his rookie deal that he can put everything together and he can stay healthy for the entire season. If that happens, I think he can still really be a difference maker for this defense and maybe play his way back into future plans for Seattle. Right now, it's looking pretty cloudy because of the injuries and the other players that they have at the position. As far as sleepers to watch, you've got four undrafted rookie safeties that I think all are intriguing, but I'm going to go to the one that maybe isn't getting the most notoriety to this point, and that is Scott Nelson out of Wisconsin. You go back and you watch the Badgers the last couple of years. And Nelson's one of those players that kind of jumps off the screen a little bit, and you're left wondering why was he not drafted, particularly when you look at the physical tools. He had a really impressive pro day workout, running in the low 4-4s, close to a 40-inch vertical jump, a sub 6-9 three-cone drill. I mean, this guy is an athlete. He's got speed. He's got explosiveness. He's got change of direction skills, and he was really productive. He did miss most of a season for Wisconsin with an injury, I believe back in 2019, but he came back for that injury, was productive in a shortened season in 2020. And then last year, he was an honorable mention, all Big Ten selection and played really well for the Badgers, put up some good numbers, had an interception, he returned for a touchdown. Hasn't necessarily gotten a lot of looks so far in their OTAs and their mini camps, but coming into training camp, I think this is a guy when the pads come on is going to have a chance to impress on special teams and on defense. So it's a very deep sleeper. He's going to have a very hard time making this football team. But keep an eye on Scott Nelson. That is a name that I don't think is getting enough buzz that might be one of the undrafted free agents that can actually push maybe for a roster spot on this football team and at least be a prime practice squad candidate. And as far as on the bubble players, there's a number that I could mention here. But I'm actually going to go with another one of the undrafted rookies, and that is Bubba Bolden coming out of Miami. Six foot two, 210 pounds. He looks the part of a Seahawks strong safety, but he's played some free safety. He's a former five-star recruit. He was a high school All-American when USC recruited him. He played there for a year, then transferred to Miami. There are glimpses on his tape of a dominant football player coming out of 2020. I thought he was probably going to be a late second, early third round pick if he declared. He didn't declare for the draft, came back to Miami, and had a pretty rough final season, mainly because of injuries. Only played seven games. When he did play, he was hampered by a shoulder issue, missed a lot of tackles. He'll leave some tackles on the field by not wrapping up. He's one of those guys that tries to go in for the big hit and doesn't always bring the technique. He's going to have to be more consistent in that capacity to make it in the NFL. But he's got the athletic tools. He's got the size. And he's got the football skills. He's just got to bring it consistently. There's too many things in his game where he, you know, one game looked like he's just an up-and-coming future NFL safety, and then the next game he'd come out and he'd look like he probably shouldn't be playing for the Hurricanes. So you've got to get more consistency out of him. And I think technique is a big part of that. The mindset looks to be there. you got to keep him healthy, though. you got to develop him. He's another player that probably is looking at practice squad as a ceiling, given the depth that the Seahawks have at the position. But he's probably got the highest ceiling of those four undrafted rookie safeties if you can coach him up and you can keep him healthy. So I think that Bubba Bolden and Scott Nelson are both players to keep an eye on. All four of those undrafted safeties have some talent, and they were productive players at the college level. And so that's going to be kind of an exciting thing to watch with all of the established veterans the Seahawks have. 
do any of those undrafted safeties really stand out and give themselves a chance to make this football team? As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and latest news from around the league because an offseason doesn't equal a break in the action. You can check us out on Locked On Seahawks, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're streaming five days a week on YouTube as well. Coming up on Monday, I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang. We'll be continuing our 90-player countdown and wrapping up our position-by-position review, looking at the tight end group. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the weather in the Pacific Northwest. Go Hawks.